Hello and welcome to Beyond the Flow of Time, a podcast all about Chrono Trigger. My name is Steve, and today we're going to talk about the quirky, purple-haired inventor known as Luca. Also, I'd like to apologize for this episode being late. Like, I record them in the middle of the night, usually during my days off. But work has been pretty crazy lately, and I squeeze them in where I can. So it's the middle of the day right now, so there's going to be background noise. There's not a lot I can do about it. I'll try to edit out as much as I can. But before we get into the Ash Tier line, this episode's What the Heckron is about the Singing Mountain. I borrowed a little excerpt of pertaining to this mystery because I didn't know anything about it until I started digging deep. As is the case with most ambitious JRPGs of its time, Chrono Trigger had a lot of content that was axed. One of the most notable exclusions in this regard was the removal of an entire dungeon in the prehistoric era, an area whose theme is still present in the game files. According to Yasunori Mitsuda, the music composer for Chrono Trigger, the area was removed for pacing issues, which does make sense given how lengthy the prehistoric section of the game already is. If I'm correct, this is me talking like the excerpt's over, if I'm correct, there still exists a track for, for music of the same title, and it's on a lot of the Chrono Trigger soundtracks. So will we ever see it? Will Singing Mountain and other cut content ever make its way into, like, a definitive edition? Um, maybe when it's finally ported or remastered for the Switch? We can hope. And now for the challenge update. As of the time of this recording, I only need about 25 downloads to hit 1,000 this is putting me in the final stretch. I am excited for my wife to finally meet the characters, see who her favorite is and what party she builds, to watch her experience time travel for the first time and explore the world of Chrono Trigger. And most important of all, to listen to the greatest video game soundtrack ever created. I might do an episode interviewing her after her first experience to find out her thoughts. Like, you guys think that would be something you'd be interested in? Like, hearing... Because uh, she doesn't know, she's heard me talk about it, but she really doesn't know a whole lot. I think she'll occasionally recognize a character here and there and stuff, but other than that, she's pretty much in the blind. Um, she doesn't listen to the podcast because she doesn't want it spoiled. So, I'm really looking forward to that. And now, just like always, I'll drop a spoiler warning for those who haven't made it far enough into the game to meet Luca, or for those of you who have wandered here by accident. Also, there are spoilers for Chrono Cross in this episode, so be aware of that as well. Alright. An excerpt from Wikipedia about Lucas says... She has received praise for being a positive example of a female scientist in video games, with one critic suggesting that she is a positive influence for aspiring female scientists and engineers. She has also been discussed as a character defying gender stereotypes, due to her style of clothing and high level of intelligence. A scene where her mother loses the use of her legs, and Luca has the opportunity to use time travel to prevent this, has been the subject of positive reception, both for the possibility of failure and how it impacts Luca emotionally, regardless of success. So now we'll take a look at Luca from a couple different angles. We're going to analyze like her relationships, her lineage, her past, 
and her future after the events of Krennicker. A reclusive, intelligent inventor, Luca is always knee-deep in a project with her father, Taban. Her mother, Laura, suffered terrible injuries by one of said inventions, and sadly, as the Chrono Trigger, the Chrono Trigger wiki describes, she lives as a quiet invalid. The Ashtier family is maybe not wealthy to the degree of Guardia's royal family, but they are definitely well off. They have a large house on a private island and can afford to spend their time inventing, carrying on even after crippling Laura. Now let's start with her relationship to Chrono, as they are the only two party members who are friends before the game starts. Frog and Magus, Magus know each other, but their familiarity is far from being considered a friendship. When the game opens and Chrono is awakened by his mother, she is waiting downstairs to remind him that his friend Luca is at the Millennial Fair, showing off another one of her inventions. Now, given the small population of Truce and she and Chrono's closeness in age, it's widely accepted the two of them are childhood friends and very close. To my knowledge, the two do not share romantic feelings. This could be due to a number of things. The first being that they are friends and simply not attracted to one another. Despite where our modern media depicts, it is possible for opposite genders to be involved in a purely platonic relationship. Another reason could be that one has feelings for the other, but those feelings are not reciprocated. Luca could be too involved in her work to even give romance a single thought, or Chrono could be wildly oblivious to any subtle advance Luca has made. Perhaps they tried and failed and went back to being friends. There is a possibility, too, that Luca is not attracted to men which was my original theory, but there is too much evidence to prove otherwise. When Ayla hits on Chrono for the first time, she mention, mentions liking strong men and strong women equally. If Luca is in the party, she says something like, oh, I'm not into that sort of thing. A post on Reddit reads, always felt Luca kind of had a best friend crush on Chrono, but obviously he and Marl fell for one another. Luca, being a good friend of both, accepts it. Her initial mistrust of Frog wounded him, and it was so appropriate that, in human form, he's handsome and she's drawn to him. Also, in one of the multiple endings, Morrow and Luca are judging the attractiveness of male characters and are chastised by Chrono, his only dialogue in the entire game. This all leads me to believe that Luca has feelings for Chrono, but put them aside when Morrow came into the picture. Alright, so now, next, let's talk about her lineage and all those responsible in some manner for her existence. The obvious are Laura and Taban, her biological parents. To bond with his love for technology and inventing, I feel almost push his daughter away from having anything to do with it. Luca, naturally possessing above-average intelligence, realized from a very young age how much of her father was consumed by his work. However, when she was about eight years old, her mother got her skirt caught in a large contraption Taban had built in their living room, and it pulled her in. After the accident, Laura was crippled and never regained the use of her legs. Her physical loss wasn't the worst part. The effect it had on her mentally made her a shut-in, and she isolated herself emotionally. This event drove Luca to join her father in trying to make the world a better place with technology and molded her into the young woman we meet in 1000 AD. Now moving backwards, we can trace the Ashtier line back to a man named Banta. Banta is a blacksmith living in truce during the Middle Ages. He's the craftsman who makes Lane's bell, which is gifted to the queen by the king shortly after the end of the Fiend War, as a sign of his love for her. However, his wife remarks on how Banta wants to have a daughter who is both beautiful and smart. He is very much like Taban, but uses the crafting tools available in his time to do metalwork, 
opposed to the mechanical and electronic inventions of the present. Also, rearranging the letters of the name Banta creates the name Taban. And further back, we have none other than Dalton. Yes, the character everyone loves to hate could very well be related to Luca, so just hear me out on this. Dalton is a literal genius. Now, he abuses his mental prowess to attempt to overthrow the current matriarchy, being Queen Zeal and her children, the king is dead, and we never meet him, and I wouldn't be surprised if his death wasn't Dalton's doing. It's like a, a very Game of Thrones plot, if you ask me. Dalton also built the Blackbird, which, as much as I hate to admit, was an astronomical feat. It is impressive, and had the events not transpired, he could have used it to rule over Zeal. He also added laser weapons and wings to the Epoch. Dalton was set up for taking over the world if it weren't for those meddling kids. It's a little off topic, but let's take a closer look at the inner workings of Dalton. Now, could Dalton, due to some debilitating medical condition, traveled to the future seeking medical attention only to find an apocalyptic wasteland overrun with machines and ended up transforming into a cyborg? So his condition? Well, anyone who can belch like Dalton should probably see a doctor or at very least begin a thorough diet change. And I have noticed similar afflictions in other Square games, and this could be a recurring trope as a way to bring humanity to the characters. Sometimes in games and movies and shows, humanity is lost when the characters have no sickness, they never sleep, they're injured far beyond normal human threshold, but yet they're still able to carry on. And most of the characters in Final Fantasy suffer from some sort of mental illness rather than a physical one. Um... We will cover, like, the Chrono Crew's mental health and stuff another day. Today we're kind of focusing on physical things here because we could touch on Squall, Cloud, Tifa, Barrett, um, some of the members of the Resistance in Final Fantasy. I know the one dude had, like, severe stomach cramps and pain. But it kind of brings humanity to those characters, and a lot of people can relate uh, on some level to someone. But back to my wild theory, Dalton, dying of some disease or illness and being pulled into a time vortex, ends up in the future and decides to seek help. What he finds, however, is a dystopian wasteland overrun with robots. Now at this point, we don't know if he helps create the robots we see or if they all exist on their own accord. So let's just assume most of what's going on in 2300 AD when Chrono and company arrive is the same scenario Dalton arrived in. Mother Brain, noting that even though Dalton is a human, Dalton still despises all other humans and sees himself as a superior being above them all. She does not have him killed, but instead transform him, giving him a new body, but at the same time his mind is changed. In 2300 AD, he is now known as Johnny. I know this is a stretch, but just hear me out on this. The first thing that led me to this is when you are in the dimensional vortex in the uh, DS version of Chrono Trigger, and you fight Dalton, it is Johnny's music that plays right before that fight. And second, once the timeline is altered, Dalton ends up in 1000 AD, overthrowing Guardia in 1005, killing Chrono and Marl. In this timeline, Johnny ceases to exist. His dead and abandoned body can be found in the streets of Chronopolis, having not been fully erased from time similar to the Ghost Children. So I have other theories on Johnny, but I'm probably going to do 
an episode on him all on his own, but that's like the wildest, crazy one that I come up with. If, if you're listening to this and you have some really cool, interesting theories on Johnny, just email me or message me on Facebook, and I will give you credit for your theory, but I would like to feature it. And in the Lavos timeline, Lucas' unaltered life leads her to create more robots similar to Gato, and she is directly responsible for the R-Series robots and all predecessors. Therefore, Lucas' lineage can be traced from Dalton in 12,000 BC to Robo in 2300 AD. All right, now we're going to take a short break. I'll play some music, and then when I come back, we'll finish out the episode. This is Morning Sunlight by Alex Rincon, and I hope you enjoy. Returning to her current time after the defeat of Lavos, Luca eventually adopts an abandoned child. The child is Kid, and a key part of the events of Chrono Cross. She would go on to start an orphanage, perhaps as a form of atonement because deep down she knows what she's done, creating a theory for artificial intelligence and subsequently creating Mother Brain. However, in the altered timeline, Robo and Mother Brain are still created, but now Robo is in the form of the Prometheus Circuit a fail-safe device for the frozen flame, and Mother Brain is the supercomputer known as Fate. And we'll talk about all that later, but my point is that time can be altered, but I'm not sure if it can be completely changed. Key events that are meant to occur will always occur in some fashion. Now, Luca's role in the events of Chrono Trigger, in my opinion, put her in a position of more importance than any other character, possibly including Chrono. The game makes Chrono out to be the main protagonist, he, and he must be in the party at all times until his death, after which any party member can be used in any combination, even after Chrono is revived. 
And the reasons that I claim Luca to be more important are as follows. Her telepod invention at the Millennial Fair was not a failure. She su successfully showed the ability to transport not just matter, but an actual person interdimensionally and have them reappear unscathed. It was the pendant that caused the unforeseen gate to appear. However, Luca invents a gate key to allow somewhat controlled movement through the gates. She has the ability to interact with technology in a future 1300 years ahead of her own time, navigating through advanced computer systems and even repairing a sentient robot. I do believe that the entity plays on her intelligence, letting her be used as a vessel to save humanity. In a time of swords and bows, Luca not only uses guns, but they are a form of energy weapons. After being endowed with the ability to use fire magic from Specchio, Luca blends magic and tech to use abilities like Hypnowave, Megaton Bomb, and Protect. Her biggest downfall is a lack of healing ability, but she can be coupled with Robo to remedy that. Given the right place and time, Luca could have changed the entire world, but instead, she saved it. Everything fell perfectly into place. Had she shown off the teleporter without any issues, she would have gone on to thrust humanity in a golden age of technology. Given her personality, meekness, and gentle nature, I don't think she would have become some tyrant or egotistical billionaire CEO. Now before I wrap up this episode, let's talk about Luca's side quest in Chrono Trigger, in one of the most iconic video game sequences ever produced. I grabbed this excerpt from the Chrono Wiki and it encompasses it perfectly. I'm talking about the campfire scene, and if you've played the game, you know. After the party completes Fiona's side quest, they retrieve Robo and decide to camp in the forest near Fiona's shrine. They then discuss sad memories and how one relives them before they die. Though when prompted about it, Luca claims she does not have any point in time she wants to return to. She secretly opens up a red gate linking to moments before Laura loses her legs. During the scene which takes place in the Ashtier's house, the player witnesses Laura approaching one of Taban's machines. Her skirt gets stuck in the conveyor belt, and a young Luca tries to pull it out with no avail. Laura then cries out for someone to help her, whilst the conveyor belt slowly pulls her towards the machine. The player must then find a password that can deactivate the machine. A paper can be found on the table in the kitchen stating, The password is... The name of my lovely wife. Use it in an emergency. To bond. Right next to the machine is an interface where the player can input a code. They must then press L... A R A in succession whilst the password prompt is on the screen to stop the machine. If the player successfully manages to stop the machine in time, Laura will be saved. Laura will be seen walking around in 1000 AD and the ending will differ slightly. If the player fails to stop the machine in time, Laura's legs will get crushed, resulting in nothing being changed. Regardless of the outcome, Luca will be gifted a green dream from Robo after the event. This cannot be repeated or undone after it has ended, so it's permanent. The red gate is a one-way gate, one way in, one way out. It runs off, I've talked about this before, it runs off Sandemus time laws, meaning that if she would go through the gate and then come back, if the gate would open again and she would go through again, time would have already passed and she would end up back in her house, you know, in the same place but after the event had already transpired. So in conclusion, in my opinion, Luca Ashtier is responsible for some of the best and worst moments in Chrono Trigger. 
Her hands are dirty with the ash of the future, and clean by the tears of her sorrow, her motivation to change what she never knew she even did. What an appropriate name. Such was the scene after the burning of her orphanage, sometime between the events of Chrono Trigger and Chrono Cross. Ash in tears. Alright, I'll wrap this episode up with some thank yous and credits. I hope you like this and continue to come back. I've enjoyed having you. And I know this episode was a little short. I did kind of rush a little bit to get it out where I was falling, you know, kind of falling behind on a few things. Um, I did pretty much get the gist of whatever, you know, everything I wanted to talk about. And if I've missed anything, I'll just kind of recap a little bit next episode. But a huge thank you to all the folks on the Chronoverse Facebook page and the Chrono Trigger Facebook page for their love and support. It means a lot to me. The thumbnail is by Ricardo Borquez. You can find him on Behance or DeviantArt by the handle Code Borquez. Also, I should add that my wife did the editing on the thumbnail, so I want to give a thanks to her. The intro is Buries by Seth Walker. The ambience is Bustling City by Brian Wysopel. The spoiler warning is Industrialized Confusion by KB. Music playing during the intermission was Morning Sunlight by Alex Rincon. Check him out on Spotify, Apple Music, SoundCloud, Facebook, and YouTube. Also like to mention again that Alex has a full-length Chrono Trigger album titled Time's Eclipse, and it is available on all major platforms. The outro is The World Stood Still by Insidness. This podcast is available on all major platforms. You can visit Beyond the Flow of Time on Facebook to find links or search your favorite podcast app. Also, if you have any ideas or topics you'd like discussed, art, fan fiction, anything at all, you can email me at beyondthefloweoftime at gmail.com or message the Facebook page. And right now I'm looking for theories on Johnny, what he is, where he come from, his future, the alternate timeline in which he unfortunately, you know, he's dead. We find his body in Chrono Cross. And episode 11 will be titled The Last of the Zealots and will be available in early September. Episode 12 will be titled Beings of Dreams and will release in late September. Thank you for listening.